This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, this is TechFan35. I'm Darren Griffin from Pocket GPS World, and this week we'll be talking all things GPS. So welcome everybody. As you heard there, the dulcet tones of uh, Darren Griffin. Um, hiya Darren, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. So this is TechFan35. Um, anybody who was listening last week will, will probably recall that Tim is busy earning a crust this week. Um, so uh, I decided to um, invite somebody along to the show and have a chat with somebody a little bit different, going to get a bit different perspective. Now Darren, I've I've been a follower of your website for a very, very long time because I've long been a fan of GPS. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Pocket GPS World and what you do over there? Yeah, sure. Uh, Pocket GPS, where do we start? Um, started out as a, a gang of uh, geeks back in the early days of GPS, going back to, I'd say, turn of the century now, late 1999, when GPS was uh, an expensive and quite a rare tool gadget. Uh, a few of us invested in some high-end hobby GPS units, and we were talking on the Yahoo News Group, and shortly after we got together and were back in ideas, the first sort of consumer-grade pocket PC GPS solution was released. Right. And uh, so we all jumped in and bought a unit, and uh, from there the website grew. It, I mean, GPS exploded around that, around sort of 2000, 2001. It became a, a sort of consumer-ish gadget, and we saw an opening for a forum, and from there, pocket GPS, this behemoth has grown uh, yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the busiest sites on the web nowadays. I mean, you you get a massive amount of traffic. Yeah, we we get about well, but just over a million page visits a month, and we've wow. got a, a three hundred thousand registered forum users now. So yeah, yeah, I suppose, keeps, keeps us busy. I suppose it does reflect the sort of the rise of interest in uh, GPS and mapping in in general, and really what a commoditization that's happened in that market over the years. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was it was a fairly geeky tech gadget when it first started, but now it's it's as ubiquitous as a Hoover. Now everyone's got a that's right. A Tom yeah. Tom. In fact, people use Tom Tom as a generic name for sat nav these days. Indeed, yeah. I, I first got into GPS. I first heard of it actually um, during the first Gulf War because yeah. I remember reading a story saying that um, uh, that back then the U.S. military used to spoof. Um, GPS, uh, that's right. so so that's right. So you didn't get the accuracy you get nowadays. It was only around about 100 meters or so. Yeah. And um, I remember reading that that when the uh, when the soldiers and the tank drivers got out to um, Q, uh, Kuwait and Iraq uh, and were getting ready to invade, they were finding that the military equipment they had either wasn't up to the job or there wasn't enough of it around. So they were all going down to uh, the shops in Riyadh and buying commercial Garmin units to mount in the tanks so that they at least had some kind of uh, GPS capabilities in the tanks. And that's why the US decided to turn this selective availability spoofing off for, for, for the period of the war. That's right, yeah. yeah. I, forget who, I think it was, it was either Clinton or Bush who actually threw the switch on it and re- revert or re- reverted it to full operation for everyone. And that was great for me at the time I had a a handheld Garmin unit. I used to go walking in the Lake Districts, and all of a sudden it got a lot better than it used to be. 
<laughs> yes, it does seem a long time ago now. Yeah, it was called selective availability. They used to purposely randomise the signal to make it less effective for anyone who didn't have an, a military spec GPS unit. That's that's exactly. Seems it. bizarre looking yeah. back on it. Now, I mean, back then, of course, we used to spend a, a fortune on these things, and they were pretty, they were pretty primitive. I mean, the first one I had literally gave you a coordinates of where you were, and you could kind of give it a waypoint to say, I want to go over there, and it would point you as the crow flies in that direction. And that was pretty much all it did. And yeah. there, was, there, was no, there was no way to interface it to anything else and actually do anything apart from using the, the uh, sort of four-way rocker switch and a couple of buttons on, on the device. I mean, obviously you've seen it change, and, and one of the things that you do on your site is, is kind of not not so you're not so much just a pure technical review site here's a gps here's what it can do i mean you you're very much about um kind of adding functionality to the units to actually make them useful in the real world yeah the the, the hardest thing with any sort of uh, website operation is actually making it pay and we we started out as a forum uh paying for it out of our own pockets and it took up so much time and uh from the early days we'd started doing speed camera POIs something one of the guys one of our founder members thought of as an idea we'd all go around our local areas and plot all the speed cameras as points of interest that we could use on any gps and that instantly became as you can understand now but with the benefit of hindsight we didn't see it coming uh, became one of the most popular features of our site absolutely and, and grew <laughs> rapidly from the first week we had 20 or 30,000 people joining in and then it grew to you know over 100,000 people contributing pois and it just became a, you know, an absolute nightmare to administer. Yeah. So and we... So we, sorry, so, so we had to uh, sort of take a step back and plan it better with through yeah. the service and sort of set the back end to cope with it. Yeah. Okay. So we, we should probably explain for... And many, obviously, many of the tech fan listeners um, aren't, don't live in the UK, but um, you may know that the UK is one of the more monitored societies in the world. We have an awful lot of CCTV. Um, and, yeah, about 10, 15 years ago, we, we had the rise of the dreaded Getso camera. Not something you get. I think they are more prevalent now in the US, but but not certainly not as prevalent as they are here or yeah, have they're been. Creep, they're creeping. They're creeping yeah. across the US now. So really. yeah. So literally, these are uh, cameras by the side of the road with radars in, and if you're exceeding the posted speed limit, they take a couple of pictures of the back of your car, and then an automated system sends you a speeding ticket. Um, and they are the. Um, they, well, for a long time, they have been the dread of UK motorists. And certainly, you know, the rise of the speed camera database has been... I mean, it's something that, that you guys started and you literally were effectively doing one of the first crowdsources where you were yeah. just marking where these things were and putting them into a database that then could be added, downloaded to uh, to a standalone GPS so to warn people where they were. But, of course, now all the commercial companies actually... Um, have taken that idea and, and run with it and kind of do it themselves. Yes, indeed, yeah. But we, we, we still stand by the fact we, we think our, our data is better than any commercial service purely because we've got, you know, 100,000 subscribers all contributing and that's the, the best sort of team of spotters yeah. you can get. Yeah. Much better than any commercial service where they, they get their data from backdoors in safety camera partnerships and they pay HTV drivers a spot for them and all sorts. Yeah. So, I mean, is it... how You, you, you mentioned you had to kind of... You know, suspend the service and then build it from the ground up. How do you deal with supporting all these different devices for something like that? It's an absolute nightmare, is the simple answer. <laughs> um, so there's such a wide variety of sat-navs and a wide variety of support within each different brand for support for POIs, so we can only support those sat-nav units that have a decent POI support built into the product. Right. Uh, and that's not hard, but it, because each satnav is different, it requires that the end user to actually download a POI and install it, and that's where the support comes in. Because we yeah. get a right, you know, not everyone who uses a satnav as a techie. 
Yeah. And so we end up teaching people the basics of copy and paste and the file management on a PC, and it can be quite quite stressful sometimes, quite painful. Yeah. But, uh, how much effort does it take to keep the keep the day space up to date? Well, there's there's four of us. What we've got one guy, an employee now. We've got I said now yeah. we've had an employee for two years. He was full time on the database administration. That's all he does. And it's, that's his baby. So he sits there, handles all the, the submissions, manages the database, and publishes the uh, the updates. And then we handle all support as a team. Right. Uh, so. Do you have do you have fairly good relationships with the industry with, with you know guys like Garmin and TomTom? Tom, yeah. Or, or do they they kind of deal with you? I mean, obviously, effectively, you had the idea, but now you're competing with their commercial services does that cause tension yeah it, it's, it's difficult we've got two separate facets of the business really we've got the, the pocket gps the news website and we've yeah. got a really good relationship with the companies there they treat us very well and we've known them for known all of them for a long time now so we know that we know the directors and we, we knew tom tom directors when they were starting out you know so we've known them for 10 years now yeah but then there's the speed camera side and that can get slightly sticky because there's a gray area about our, our involvement in the speed camera business and our involvement in the GPS side. Most yeah. of them are okay. I mean, Tom, Tom and Garmin, they're big companies. They they don't see us as, as competition. And yeah. we see, you know, we, we're there chasing the tails, make sure they keep their product up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's people like uh, Road Angel and the like who are, there's a slightly more grainy relationship. But, uh, because, cause, yeah, with Road Angel, they specifically make devices just purely to warn you of they're, they're not general mapping devices they they're specifically there to warn you of speed cameras that's right yeah, yeah. and w- when that's all they were doing we had no involvement at all but they they supplied their data to some manufacturers now ah. and that's what some sat manufacturers and that's where we come into conflict sometimes right okay well but, uh, all's, you know, all's fair in love and business as they say. Yeah. it's only business at the end of the day that's that's <laughs> right yeah nothing personal uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm interested to understand, you, you say you've known the guys at TomTom for a long time, and I've been a, you know, for a long time I was a customer of their products. I had yeah. a couple of their early standalone GPS units, and then for a while I had the um, the um, the software that ran on the on the early Windows Orange smartphones, you know, the, the yes. candy bar ones. Um, yeah. Uh, Windows, uh, was it? S- Tom, SPVs, Tom, uh, The SPV and TomTom right. Mobile 4 and 5. Mm. Um so, so they've really seen their business turn from you know what was a pretty niche product to something that has exploded into something that's really a multinational corporation. Yeah. How, how have they how have they managed that? And and have you how have you seen your sort of how they re, they deal with? Because obviously you represent the end users. So how, how have you seen that change over the years? Yeah, Thomson have always been a fairly unusual company in which they were very um, consumer orientated and con- customer not consumer forum. Community yeah. forum orientated. They always had a, a very close contact with their forums. Anyone who was involved in GPS, they had very good ties with, and it's, it paid dividends for them in the early early days. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the better they are, cl- the closer they are to the community forums, the more likely they are to get some positive PR out of it. Yeah, and they've grown massively. Every time we, we go to Amsterdam once a year for a community forum meeting, all the all the webmasters would go over there and be introduced to the new products. Yeah, and their offices were in a permanent state of flux, permanently taking on more floors, moving out into the next building, and growing right. higher and wider. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating to see how they come. And funny that now it's all gone back to smartphones, which is pretty much where they started out in the first place. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you know, how how they how do they and and the rest of the market seen the rise of the iPhone? Because obviously, for a long time, you, you if you wanted GPS, you went out and you bought an in-car unit. Um, yeah. And and now, of course, there is a drive towards going to smartphones. I, I'm I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. I mean, what's what's your opinion? Do you, do you think a at the end of the day, a standalone unit is is a is a better unit for for um, 
for somebody driving a car than a, than a smartphone that may be doing something else as well? Yeah, it, it probably is the, the better unit if you're given the choice, but at the end of the day, it's a bit like cameras. It doesn't matter how good your camera is. It's the camera you've got with you that's the camera yeah. that works. And yeah. if you've got a smartphone in the car and you need a sat-nav, then I find myself using the iPhone all the time now, and I've got right. you know, a choice of a dozen GPS I could use, and it's always the, the iPhone that I pull out of my pocket when I need it because right. it's there and it's convenient. Uh-huh. So it's not ideal. It's got a smaller screen and it's got some limitations, but it's it's in your pocket when you need it. That's the, the benefit to me. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately uh-huh. to them, the problem is, of course, it's the support that I think irritates companies like TomTom and Navigon the like. It's supporting these different products can be quite a quite labour intensive. Right. Okay. I see. But that's uh, what the flip side is: is it's easy to update software than it is to update hardware. Yeah. Very. Very. Yeah. Very much. Very much easier. Yeah. So it's just simplicity itself, isn't it? So, I mean, has, has the smartphone really kind of, you know, started a tail off into the into the sales of the of the standalone units, or is there still a strong core market there? Yeah, there, is, there is still a strong market, but it's certainly impacted sales dramatically. I don't think their their, their projections for the increase in sales in the next few years have been decimated, I think. Right. Uh, there's still a large, large part of the community who haven't invested in satnavs yet and probably will, will do eventually, but... Um, they're projecting growth, you know, two or three hundred percent year on year over the next five years, and that's just not going to happen there. Right. People okay. are people have smartphones are the, the 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 next best thing now. Yeah, I suppose the threat to them as well is that you know they can they're competing in software. It's it's you know anybody can come along and and, and cut margin by uh, by saying well we've got a sunk investment in the software development so we can afford to cut prices. So there's a, I mean there is a quite a wide range of prices in in the certainly in the iPhone store for uh, for smart for smartphone mapping applications. Yes. There's any, yeah. any anyway from from free know, up from free upwards all the way up to uh, you know 70 80 quid um, for various different versions. So 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 there is quite quite a lot of competition there. Um, you know I, I guess I guess the question is is that if if Apple or Google or someone, someone like that were to do turn by turn for free, would would the whole market implode overnight? Well, I should think- imagine that that's the big that's the big fear that they've all got at the back of their minds at the moment is what, where are Apple going with this? They've yeah. already got the problems with Google navigation and Nokia's navigation attempts, and uh, we've yeah. got the free navigation from OpenStreetMap suppliers now. So I yeah. think we're all wondering which way the market's going to turn. I mean, I know the Android phones have got turn by turn sort of a standard built in. I, I'd always worry with when you're dealing with Google. Do you necessarily want them to know where you're going? Because <laughs> you, you know, we, I always are very conscious with Google that, that any information they get back from you, they're using to target ads at you. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not really comfortable with uh, giving them information about every journey I make. Really, no, it's but, something. Uh, and at what point are we going to get your passing McDonald's as a special offer on Big Macs or your, you know? Or, Google, well, Google it, likes to monetize anything they can possibly get hold of. It could, I mean, ultimately, it could get worse than that. It could be the routing you get could actually take you near places that you might. They might <laughs> think you all might buy something. You know, you want to go to Glasgow, and all of a sudden you find the first place it takes you past is the uh, Trafford Centre because you might uh, you might stop in and buy something on the way. Yes, sponsored by the M6 toll, all routes <laughs> by the M6 toll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now here's the thing that that kind of blew my mind the other day. I was renewing my, my wife's car insurance and I mm. found that um, one of the insurance companies gave me a cheaper quote but they wanted to fit a GPS box to the car. Norwich Union, I think, isn't it, at the moment? Uh, this was, well, I don't know whether this was um, like a, a front company representing that underlying Norwich Union policy or not, mm. but, I mean, it had a different name on it. But but this this kind of intrigued me. So they basically said they were going to 
you were effectively being charged per mile for your insurance. That the yeah. quote they gave you was for a certain six thousand miles, something like that, uh, and the box they would fit to your car would sort of track your movements and report back to them where you went and what you were doing and how you were driving even. And then um, and then, then if you went over the 6,000 miles, then you'd get a bill through the post saying you'd, you need to yeah. pay them more insurance. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, well, it's, it's a GPS tracking device, but it also hooked into your, um, into your car's electronics. It hooks into, I think it hooks into the ODB too, which is the, the data bus system on most modern cars now. Right. So, it, so it can tell when the ignition's on. What speed you're doing, how much fuel you're using, you know, how much acceleration you're using, the G sensors in the car, and all sorts of data. I mean, do you, do you think they actually really do monitor driving styles, or is it just purely where you go and what and how, how far you're going? From what I've heard, they set basic triggers. They do set acceleration acceleration triggers and G triggers. So if you're careering, you know, three way sliding around a bend, or um, putting your foot down at every, every set of traffic lights, and they've got speeds linked to the national speed database, so they can tell whether you're actually speeding. And based stuff like that, and the, the beauty of that is where it comes in is, is for the youngsters because they're offering some significant discounts for new drivers who take these yeah. boxes on. And the, with the cost of insurance for new uh, youngsters now, I think it's uh, probably going to be the only way they're going to get insurance very soon. Yeah, but again, there's that privacy aspect of the yeah. fact that they know where you're going, and you know they're a commercial entity. They they potentially one day might see money in actually reselling that data on somebody else. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see the finer print on that and exactly what ownership they make of the data and what promises they make as to how they'll use the data. Yeah, I mean, this is, I suppose it's one of these things that, that, you know, this is a technology that started as a military application and has now become so ubiquitous. And, and now we're seeing the, 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 the potential for downsides from it as opposed to the benefits we receive. Yeah. We, we all, as I say, we, do, we all sleepwalk into this kind of thing, don't we? We're all yeah. very blasé about it until someone unveils you know, like the recent information with the, the iPhone tracking. When yeah. someone throws the, opens the uh, lid on that, we all go, what? No one ever told me. And then it's in, it was on page 58 of your 160-page user agreement you ignored and ticked, yes, I agree to. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So obviously you've been, you know, through your site and your, the group of people mm. that set up your site, you know, you've been closely associated with this market for, for, for this immensely long time. Yeah. How soon did you become aware that um, the quality of the mapping that people were using was potentially an issue? I mean, our press over here now is full of stories all the time about, um, you know, people driving into rivers and, and off, off yeah. piers and that sort of thing because uh-huh. they're blindly love, uh you know, following the sat-nav. And while I don't think I'm that bad, I, I am aware that sometimes I go to places and people ask me which route I take and I can't tell them. Yes. Because I literally just followed the directions and wasn't really paying a huge amount of attention to where I was. That I certainly, a big problem, yeah, isn't it? certainly wouldn't be able to, to say, well, come this way to somebody else who wanted to follow me. They'd have to literally follow me because I, I, w- I wouldn't be able to recount yeah. the journey to them. No. But obviously, you know, you do, you do hear these stories about people potentially getting – they're so clued into the sat-nav that they get themselves into trouble. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I've had personal instances where I've, I've gone to a postcode in a rural area – uh, not realising, of course, that postcodes in a rural area are pretty large. and Very, the, very vague, yeah. Yeah, the sat-nav has, has made its best guess as to where I need to go, but it's actually like a mile and a half from where it actually is, and, and I'm then kind of stuck. Um, so, you know, and I, and I did have one instance where I drove down a, a road that was getting narrower and narrower and eventually ended up at farm gate, and a farmer popped his head up, up over the wall and said, oh, following the sat-nav, are you? <laughs> you know, you're not getting down to the village at the bottom here unless you're going on a horse. <laughs> yes, I've, I've, done, I've done the same as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the data's come along, along, come along 
come a long way since it first started. When when the first mapping pocket PCs came out, you used to actually have to load each county as a separate map. Right. And, and then plot it as a border. So if I want to travel from here to North Wales, I'd have to travel across Oxfordshire and plan where my exit out of the Oxfordshire map was, stop, reload a map, plan the next county. Yeah. And then the maps became seamless. You had the whole UK and you had the thing where you'd be driving down the M4 and it'd say, turn right onto the M25 mm. or, or turn left, rather, off the, M, off the M25. Of, of uh, motorway so they've improved but the, the problem most people have now is the currency is why isn't my housing estate on the map and it's been here four years and why is that roundabout not on the map and that's yeah. the, what, what irritates people of course the first thing you do when you get a nav is you check your local area because you're familiar with it that's right yeah. and you spot all the problems and then you, you lose faith in the data oh, it's, yeah, it's rubbish and that's where they they still lag a long way they keep telling us that the currency is improved and they, they're getting the digital data out to end users much quicker but we still have issues that are outstanding two, three, four years. Is there a problem with the fact there's actually relatively few companies doing this now? Because, I mean, a lot of them have been... Uh, there, was, there was normally... I mean, there was Teleatlas and Navtech and, and what have you, but then they start to consolidate, and now yeah. they're being bought up by the sat-nav companies themselves as well. So is that is that? Do you see that as a potential issue? I, I don't know. I would have, I would, would have hoped that the fact that there are fewer companies doing it is I mean, they can throw more investment at it and concentrate on the job. But I think the problem now is that they're all branching out into new markets where they can see the best you know, bang for their buck, and they've they've sort of taken their eye off the ball in their original territories. They're not mm. really concentrating on correcting the errors in the in the key markets they started off in. They're all out in India, Brazil, South America, Mexico. And yeah. that's where they're throwing all the money at. So we're still left, we're left with maps, really, that aren't changing an awful lot from four or five years ago. And yeah. they're taking a long time to get the corrections in. I, I mean, part of the problem I find is that if you want to go for an... I mean, I have a a, a, a manu, car manufacturer sat nav in my, in my Prius. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the map updates for that are not cheap. If you want the new DVD, it's £150. Yes. But you actually have no idea how good the update... How many updates you've got on that. I no. mean, it doesn't... It doesn't list the changes. There's no, like, change log. You just basically said, oh, well, this is better than, than it was before. But, you, you know, you might you might be going into a particular area that's bad. I drove through an area of um, of Oxfordshire a, a couple of weeks ago that, that it clearly had some new road built. So there's about a mile and a half, two miles where it just completely went it went haywire. Uh-huh. But, you know, if I need to go to that area again, I could buy an updated map, but I've got no guarantee that that's actually been dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. You'll get, you'll get a map that will sound at 2011 map cut you don't know what it's a cut of what data when was that data burnt onto the map because they buy the maps in from the suppliers from navtech and teleatlas mm-hmm. then they compress them they add in some of their own features the routes and that and this that process alone can take six to twelve months before it's it hits a dvd that's released to, to the dealers yeah so it's it's instantly a year old and you don't know how old the data was before they started the process of putting it on the dvd so yeah it's a problem i, I drive a prius too and my disc's five years old now i think i haven't bothered updating yeah. it I made the mistake of asking the dealer, and he said £149, and I just ran out laughing. <laughs> I'll buy a brand buy, new satna for that. Buy, exactly, you buy a new satna, exactly. And, and, I mean, that is a – it does stick in the crawl, the fact that, you know, take the option to list in on a car um, on a car dealership for a satna system built into the car. And, you know, they often want upwards of, of £1,000 plus. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, I can get the software on my phone for 70 quid. How, how does that work, just to integrate it into the vehicle? And they've often got far less features than the, the latest you know, consumer sat-nav has. Yeah. But having support. said that, it is more convenient to have the, sometimes the bigger screen and a touch screen and, and it routing through your stereo speakers in the car yeah. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I suppose maybe, you know, devices like the iPad may have a an impact on that because they're a bit more comparable. But I've never really felt inclined to mount an iPad in the car. No. Because just because I... I have tried, but it's not <laughs> it's not ideal. No. Uh, well, uh, for me, I mean, obviously you'd think it would be an ideal sat-nav sat device because you've got the bigger screen. But the problem for me is that it, because it does so many other things... Um, I, I'd have the children fighting over it, saying, "Oh, we'll show a film <laughs> or something like that." But also because it, you know, it is a comms device, picking up email and that sort of thing. I'd be a bit worried that the, the temptation is there to start doing other things on it rather than sat nav. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got that big screen right next to you, and and uh, you you might end up being the first first person reporting the tabloids for having a crash while playing Angry Birds while driving. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that the, the best solution is probably the ones that a lot of the, the like Thompson and Garmin are following now, where they're actually getting their units into the dashboards, and you know, so they've got all the the familiarity of your consumer GPS, and they're up to date with the latest spec, but they're built yeah. into the dash with a, a remote control in the armrest, and the, you can update them the same as you'd update your, your ordinary GPS. And price wise, are those a bit more like the consumer units? As yeah, well, Renault Renault have got their the Tomtoms in now, and they're running about three or four hundred pounds for the oh, option in is, the dash, which is and, probably reasonable, I think. It's got a nice big jog, jog dial controller in the armrest yeah. to control it, and an SD card you just pop out and take into your home and plug into your computer to update, which is, you know, ideal, nice and simple then. Absolutely. Well, but of course, you can't take it with you. That's the only problem, of course, is when you sell the car, that's gone, and you've got to buy another one. But Yeah, yeah, well, there is that as well. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I, I'll, be, I'll be in the market for a car in the next 12 months or so, and I'm going to think long and hard about what I do about satellite navigation. I certainly don't think I could... I wouldn't be really inclined to, to not have it at all, so I'll definitely be looking at either the phone or, or something inbuilt um, yeah. as a solution, really. But, uh, the beauty of the new Prius is, of course, it's got navigation with the head-up display, which is something they haven't yet managed to offer on a consumer unit. Yeah, that, I mean, the head-up display is nice. It's not, it's, not partic- it's, not, it's not kind of how you imagine it when you, when you see it in the brochure. You, <laughs> kind, of, you kind of assume that, that you know, you're going to get something like a four-inch screen projected into the display, and you, you don't. You get some arrows. Oh. <laughs> you get Not some arrows and, and, and a little pictogram of the, of the junction coming up. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, I don't, don't get me wrong, it's... it's far better than not having it at all but it's not um the actual projection area is is much smaller than you imagine when you kind of yeah. you know, are specking the system up you know not quite token then not really no i'm sure that it's only a matter of time you know i i want the night rider version where you can actually um you know the whole the whole windscreen sort of highlights things and yes. uh, you know so you're driving around driving down the road and it's looking like the terminator with all the text coming up highlighting dangers and and uh, stuff like that, really, and seeing in the dark and all of that is really where it needs to be. Well, there was a, a technology demonstrator or something just like that, a full windscreen head-up display I saw recently, which is quite impressive, using lasers. Wow. Where they, actually, they actually draw the roads onto the display, but in a, using optics so that it's focused out above the bonnet. That's so they, cool. they, they draw the road and the arrows in the distance hovering in the midair to show you the next turn, speed information, throttle and all that stuff. We are, we are living in a science fiction world. We I mean, are, G- yes. GPS in, in, in itself as a technology is kind of magical. Yeah, it's, it's, we're getting to that stage now where, because it's so ubiquitous, it's starting to lose its, its edge for, for me. There's been look, very little development on major developments in GPS for a few years now. and it's, We've got to the, uh, the slipper brigade now. I've got them in their camper vans, and yeah. it's all getting a little bit you know, passe now. I'm looking for the next new challenge. But in terms of in terms of your website and, and the forum on there, is that still as active as it was, or is it uh, is it kind of also 
not there's not much discussion going. No, on. it gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. I think the more the more people with I'm, I'm trying to say a, a polite way of saying the more people who are less technically adept buying these things, the more traffic right. we get. They sort of they seem to find us by circuitous routes from friends, and they come into our forum asking for help, and it, we spend the rest of the time you know sort of teaching the basics of PCs and how to plug in USB and update. And, All right, so it, it pays us back in the end. You know, we get long, we've had customers who have been with us eight or nine years now and recommend us to all their friends and family. So. We're friendly, if nothing else. Brilliant. Sounds good. Okay, well, let's take a brief break, yep. and uh, we'll play a trailer for some new stuff going on on the, uh, on the MyMac Podcast Network, and then we'll be back in a moment or two. Looking for in-depth coverage of the Mac universe? How about hard-hitting interviews with industry leaders with all the questions you want to ask? Or detailed product reviews for programs costing thousands of dollars? Then you should definitely find something other than the MyMac.com podcast. The MyMac.com podcast is the show for every Mac user. Fun, entertaining, with news, reviews, and interviews with people just like you who want more from a podcast than just talking heads. Find us on iTunes by doing a search for My Mac and get ready for a good time. I used to like talking heads. And we're back, and I'm still here with Darren Griffin from Pocket GPS World. Now, Darren, when I was looking through your um, looking through your bio on the site there, I did I did happen to note that uh, you used to be a PC user and you switched to the Mac. I uh, did, and obviously we've we've had many a, many a good conversation on Twitter in the past about uh, Mac related things. So um, so when I'm, I, I was interested in that because I'm I'm in the same position. I moved us to the Mac probably about eight years ago now. Yeah. So, so when, did you, when did you make that transition and what kind of prompted it? Um, I'm, I moved over when the first white MacBook, Intel MacBooks came out. So okay. uh, the, my background was I'd, I'd been in IT in the Army and left and became a, a PC sort of systems installer for a company when I left the Army, PC-based, obviously. And uh, one of our customers was a, an editing house that had a suite of Macs. So that was my first ever sort of involvement in Macs. And they were always... Right. Always singing a praise of them. They, the guys who use them hated to have to resort to the PCs for the, <laughs> the day-to-day work. And um, they had their own Mac engineers who supported those. But they were always showing me, we can do this, look what we can do. You know, this is the, new, the latest thing in the Mac side. So when the Intel MacBooks came out, I thought, I might have a go at one of these. Now I can run, yeah. run Windows on one partition for work, go into work with my MacBook in hand on Windows, and at home I can play with the Mac side. Yeah. And that's how it started. It wasn't very long after that before I was... Very rarely booting into Windows, only when I've ever had to, and just you know, remote uh, desktoping into Windows on the networks I was administering. Yeah. And I, and I was hooked. It took yeah. a few weeks, and that was it. I was wondering why I'd spent <laughs> so so many years dealing with PCs and wasting my time when I could have been using a Mac. It, it is interesting, that, isn't it? I know that it's a kind of a bit of a living internet meme now that, that you know, Macs are, are easier to use than PCs. And I, I'm not sure it's always true, mm. but, um, but certainly... You know, in terms of sort of general day-to-day operation, I find that the Mac is, is just needs less TLC than a Windows machine does. And, and that remains the same for me even today with Windows 7. I have a Windows 7 laptop that I use at work, and it, 
you know, it just there are times it does things that just completely infuriate me. And and while the Mac does yeah. that too, not not anywhere near as much. You know. So. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly it. When I worked in PCs, also my my bread and butter was fixing them, and the more they fell over, the more money I made. So it was yeah. great, but. When I came to rely on them for my, my business at home, working, I just want to get up in the morning, switch things on and do what I need to do to work. I don't want to be defragging the disks or going through the registry and you know, farting about trying to correct the problem. I just want it to do what it's supposed to do. That's and right, touch yeah. wood, they've been yeah. you know, rock-solid reliable. They've, they've kept me going for quite a few years now. So, I mean, making that transition... I'm by them now. They've got the whole, the whole family's Mac. Ah, uh, right, yes. My, mine are the same. Um, so making that transition, how did you, how, in terms of your professional life, in terms of running your mm-hmm. website, how did you find that? Uh, well, it was, it, we, on, on the website side of things, everything we ran would run in a Mac anyway. We didn't have any problems on the yeah. actual website end. Um, we used Dreamweaver anywhere on the PC for running the, the web page design. So I swapped to the Mac version of Dreamweaver. And the only thing we had that legacy was we had a few database tools which are PC-driven. And still mm-hmm. are, in fact, but our database administrator's got his toes more in the PC camp than Mac. He's got a Mac, but he's happy to switch to PC for some of the legacy tools we have to use to, to create databases. Yeah. So for us on, on the on the front end, we're uh, all of us are Mac users now, and we've designed all the tools so they run fine in Mac, and they're, they're equally as happy. Yeah. No, no problem at all for us. Now, I remember back from the early um, GPS days that actually interfacing GPSs to any sort of computer was always a little bit hairy, uh, even yes. even with Windows. I mean, I, I, I was one of these crazy people who bought, uh, a, you know, the dedicated Garmin serial connector and actually soldered up a cable so I could actually get a serial cable into the back of my Garmin um, hiking yes. GPS so I could uh, load... load um, the maps and, and points of interest on and off of it. And uh, so it was difficult enough on Windows. I mean, how how was it to transition to a Mac and still be faced with that? I mean, would you still say that Mac support for GPS hardware devices is, is not is not where it is with the Windows side, or is it, it, is it kind no, of on it's, the it's road? It's definitely not as good. I was looking, when I switched over, which must have been about 2006, Garmin and Thompson both had Mac versions of their their um, interface software, their client software. So there's no problem on that side. But there are still a number of GPS manufacturers who haven't got any Mac support at all. Right. So uh, I, I retain it. I've got an EPC for um, running their clients, client apps. Yeah. So yeah, we're still under 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 serviced in that side, but um, the most popular platforms support Mac fine now. Right. Okay. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's only an issue for some of the some of the older or the less popular systems have have their own client front ends which you have to use to update the maps to install POIs. Yeah. But for things like, and in fact, Garmin's one of them to be honest that you, they use their client software. But for TomTom's like, they, they mount as disk systems so you can just do a drag and drop. There's no requirement to use any TomTom software. Right, okay, yeah. Well, that's obviously a better, far better way to go. Yeah, I've, I've, I've dealt with the... Some of the Garmin software is very, very strange. Mm. <clears throat> you know, the, the, yeah, the stuff, if you, buy, if you buy extra maps off Garmin and try and load them onto a GPS, um, some of their software, it, it seems like something that's been kind of transported via time machine from the, uh, from the early 90s. Yes, yeah, Garmin, Garmin's map updater software. But that that was one of the last apps they actually converted to Mac for a long time. Yeah. Well, they had POI load of a Mac. They didn't have the the, the uh, map updater client, which is bizarre. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we are better served with the Macs nowadays, and that they being until they will run Windows. But if you don't have a copy of Windows, and many people don't, uh, the actual 
hassle of going through all of that just to run one application is uh, even with virtualization is, is kind of a very big overhead and you've got to buy a copy of Windows and get it all set up and everything if that's not your particular boat then that's uh, that's that's not a very nice way to have to go no no yeah. but Mac Mac's always been slightly um, underserved on the mapping GPS side even on the there's not very little software for Macs that's mapping based there's, yeah. there's no there's not like your um, map map um, memory map and OS maps applications, nothing like that for Mac at the moment. Yeah. It's a shame. Uh, I mean, one of the saving graces really is, is Google because obviously there's, there's a huge Google, um, you know, mapping data, database available via, you know, several map, either the web or Google Earth or, or that sort of thing. I, I was having a conversation with a, a colleague of mine the other day about um, GIS applications, so that's business applications mm. of mapping. Um, because in my business we do a fair amount of, you know, looking at uh, locations for telecoms purposes, how close they are to exchanges for running data yeah. lines and and on radio and that sort of thing. Uh, and we have tools like that that, that are all Windows based. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, what's been the impact of Google Map and Google Earth, uh, Google Maps and Google Earth on this market? Because you know, it always mm-hmm. used to be very proprietary and fairly expensive and actually buying the, the yes. update discs and everything was always a bit of a closed book, you know. And he says, mm-hmm. oh, that, he says they're all absolutely terrified that one day, <laughs> you know, Google Earth will open up to the point that, that, that effectively they'll be out of business. So, yeah. um, so you know, that, that is a, that's a real, a real thought. But from the, from the Mac point of view, you know, at least you have, you have that as a fallback. I have seen kind of Garmin POI applications that kind of run on a Google Earth web back end, you know. Yes, yeah, and just export, yeah. export files out in a in a Garmin format and that sort of thing. I say, if we, at the very worst, we do have to get down and dirty. We can always revert to PC, but I try not to whenever possible these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, so, so you, you mentioned your uh, the the rest of the guys who run, who run run your company also are all on Macs. Is that is that your doing, or was that something they came to themselves? No, I was the first to get a Mac. Uh, I got my white MacBook and took it around and showed them all. And then uh, my colleague, Mike, Mike Barrett, was rather impressed with those and went out and bought one. And it sort of started from there. So we're yeah. all terribly, terribly in the Mac camp now. But they're yeah. just they're really good devices. I'm not, I would never do down the PCs. I mean, if you're happy with what you've got, then that's great. But for me, they just, they work and they, they do the job really yeah. well. And, and how was obviously we, we we alluded to in the previous section about the impact of the iOS devices on 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 the GPS clients. I mean, how have you how have you did you ever yeah. sort of imagine when when you started in this game? Obviously, you started with PDAs that we would end up with something as as uh, kind of usable as mapping friendly as as iOS. No, no. I mean, the, the smartphone software was always fairly fairly kooky and a bit uh, clunky. And um, pocket PCs took off from the smartphones, and then we went to PDAs, you know, the TomTom devices, and the smartphones sort of snuck up really rather quietly, and they suddenly became so powerful that people were thinking, "Crikey, these things are at least as good, if not better, than a and And when yeah. you see a, a, smart, a smartphone running, you, know, you can have four or five different mapping apps on there now with maps of half the world. Plus, you can switch to your ordnance survey mapping. You can shoot into Google if you're somewhere where you've got no mapping coverage. All GPS built in with a Google search, you know, connected Google search, then. You've really got a lot. Absolutely, yeah. So, do, do you look at um, do you, do you run Google Android devices as well, so you can keep an eye on what's going on on that side? Yes. Well, we we develop for iOS and Android now, so we've had to uh, invest in Android devices, if only just to test the apps we're producing. So, yeah, we've we've all I've got a 
ZT Blade was one of the cheapest Android devices I could find that ran GPS. Right. And uh, okay. they're, they're, they're very good, but they're just not as good as iOS in my my opinion. Just, I just don't think they're as polished as uh, Android, but they're, they're more than I, I capable. Think, in fact, they're more capable. That, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to for me. I, I've not... I've not had a huge amount of experience of using Google Android devices, but I have used them on occasion. And for me, it's, it is much of a fit and finish and an ease of use point of view than, uh, than necessarily, you know, the, the broad, function, broad functionality. Because as you say, sometimes Android actually, you know, knocks iOS down. You look at some developments yeah. in iOS 5, there's some, there's some quite clear inspirations from Google Android yeah, there, absolutely. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, though, though I think I, I'm... I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and I said, "Well, I'm prepared to give Apple a pass on that uh, for, for you know, rather than call it blatant copying, because the whole of Google Android itself was very, very heavily inspired by <laughs> by I- iPhone. Yes. So uh, you know, it's, it's six and one half a dozen the other, as far as I'm concerned, really. Um, but but yeah, I agree with you. I think I think functionally they can often be more powerful, but it's just the way it all works. It's just not it's it's not as slick and and as seamless as it is with iOS. Um, and I, I still find their application sort of set up a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, and it's interesting going back to what you're saying about uh, what would happen if Apple bring out a mapping application on on Android. Most of our members seem to use be happy using Google now if they don't seem to want to invest in a in a pay for navigation application. So I wonder whether that's going to happen if if Apple ever do dip their toes into GPS. Whether we're going to see the death of you know TomTom, Navigon, and the like in the App Store because people are just happy to use what's free. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me. I, I, I'm not really sure whether Apple would ever go down that route or not because it seems to me with some of the problems Google have had with their kind of cars driving around and getting in trouble for picking up wrong data and everything, that actually it's a it's a bit of a, it could, you know, it's potentially a risky, a bit of a thorny issue actually taking something like that on because it is so, mm. uh, so you know, it's so ubiquitous. It's People depend on it so much, so getting it right is important, but also because of all these privacy worries, the fact that, that if you if you make the device, you host all the stuff in the cloud, as obviously Apple are going to be doing with iCloud now, and then you're actually mm-hmm. tracking where people go, that, that immediately starts sending, uh, you know, a certain groups of the population a red flag up in terms of privacy and, and concern. So, you know, I, I wonder whether Apple might yeah, deli- deliberately steer away from that rather than... Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't see them taking it from Google, because obviously that would give Google a big in inroads into Apple's space, and I don't really see them wanting to do that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I would never presume to second guess what Apple plan plan to do in the next year or so, but I'd, I'd be interested to see whether they there've been a few rumours about them taking on a, you know, some mapping devs and buying up some mapping sort of mapping link companies, but whether that's something for something completely different, who knows? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, I mean, in terms of the applications on iOS, if you were mm. if you're if you're if you're choosing one, which one do you tend to go to? Is it TomTom or is it one of the others? It's probably TomTom, but if, if only because of the HD traffic facility, which is, you know, to, to hats off them, it's very, very good nowadays. It's very right. reliable and very accurate. And yeah, it's just worth having for that alone. Because I have, I have a, as you'll probably know, I have a TMC system in the Prius that supposedly mm. routes me around traffic, but I tend to find it's a bit laggy, so it's often routing around traffic jams that have evaporated. But I've come to, come to the point that yeah. I tend to... I tend, when, every time it now says, do you want me to reroute around the traffic, I say no. Because <laughs> I'm never, never sure I really believe yeah. it. Is, is TomTom's, TomTom's more accurate than that, then? 
Yeah, that's the problem with TMC. I had much the same experience with HD traffic when it first came out, was it was often slightly laggy and you, you'd eventually get not to trust the data. You know, you'd be, if you chose to ignore it, you'd end up in the traffic jam they reported and there'd be nothing there. Yeah. So you chose to ignore it, but it's actually become so much more accurate now. And it relies on a certain a base of TomTom users to produce the data anyway. Uh, um, so so, so if you, it, can trust, you can trust it. If, if somebody on a yeah, TomTom every, device... every TomTom device is a client. Ah, Sorry, that's every, every, Yeah, every... every Every TomTom device and every Vodafone handset in the UK reports reports moving floating floating data to TomTom for the HD traffic service. Right. So they can actually, if you're if you're in a if you're in a car, not even using a TomTom, but you've got a Vodafone phone in your hand and you're on the M6 and you're doing five miles an hour, TomTom can see that if half a dozen Vodafone users are on a line doing five miles an hour, there's a traffic incident there. Oh, very clever. Oh well, that yeah, that's that kind of that's it. Do you have to pay for the service on top of the software? You do. I'm not sure of the subscription is. I think it's about £30 a year. But so if, right. you, if you travel a lot, it's well worth the investment. That, that may well have, um, when I do come to uh, to look at new cars, that may well tip me towards a TomTom iPhone app rather than anything else then. Yeah, so, it's fantastically uh, accurate. Yeah, I very much like the sound of that. Very good. It's very, I've been on the motorway before. I've actually been first into a traffic jam and you pop Tom Tom will pop up with that traffic within 30, 60 seconds of you, st- you know, coming to a standstill. It's that accurate. So oh. if you were five minutes behind, you're going to get warning of the incident ahead. Very, very cool. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, there's an endorsement for, for Tom Tom. Now, does that, is that on, um, all of their standalone GPSs as well, or is that just on the iPhone? No, on the PNDs, it's only on their live-enabled products, which are the, the, the data-enabled SIM, you know, SIM card-stuffed versions of their GPS, and again, that's on prescription only. But uh, it, right. it provides with live Google search as well as traffic and live speed camera updates and fuel prices and a few other extras they throw in. Very cool, very cool. Well, that's definitely one to look out for. So let's take another break and uh, run on the bumper, and then we'll be back in a moment too. Drawback to owning a portable Mac? Not enough hard drive space. Who wants to carry an external hard drive around with you? That defeats the entire reason to own a laptop. Instead, replace that seldom used optical drive with an MCE OptiBay. With OptiBay, you can install a second hard drive in your MacBook, MacBook Pro, or heck, even a Mac Mini. Imagine two terabytes more storage in your MacBook Pro. Or heck, even one of those super fast solid state drives. With MCE's OptiBay, you could do just that. Check them out online at mcetech.com. That's M-C-E-T-E-C-H dot com. And we're back again, and uh, for this final segment, I'm going to talk with Darren through a little bit about tablets. So um, we talked briefly mentioned the iPad as GPS devices. Uh, Darren, do you, do you are you an iPad user as well? 
Yes, I'm afraid so. Yes, fully fully gadget enabled with a, a, a one and two iPad now. Now, uh, and that's an interesting fact. So you've got a one and a two. How do you find the two over the one? Do you think it's a a compelling reason to upgrade from a one, or uh, is it I'm, just a I'm, nice development? If I'm honest, it's a nice development, but I wouldn't rush out and buy one. If I had a one, then the, the one does pretty much all I require of it. I certainly don't right. need the cameras to start. Yeah, yeah, and the and the additional speed you get the two isn't something that really sort of drives you forward? No, it's snappier, but I don't do an awful lot on it that requires massive speed. I'm more web browsing and email and news and you know, social networking. I'm not into games or anything, so right. the extra speed, the speed wouldn't really be that much of a benefit to me. Okay, yeah, I've, I've been, I, was, I was looking at getting a 2 when it first came out, but I've, I've, I think uh, uh, Gaz from the MyMac show was, was in the States and tried to get one, but you, that was back when you couldn't get one for love and the money. Um, yes. And, and now, that, now that we're at the point, you know, we're, we're sort of well into the year, I'm kind of looking forward to, to iPad 3 and thinking, well, maybe I should just hold off um, <laughs> rather, than, uh, rather than get a 2, you know, at this point. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I've, just, I've just seen all these rumours that the iP- there's an iPad 3 in the offing with the uh, retina screen. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, no, I can't afford another one. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced about that myself because the problem is it's just the double the screen resolution is, you need, means you need like eight times more graphic processing mm. power. I'm not sure about that myself, but... We'll see. The point is, we won't know. I don't. I don't see anything coming out this year, so I, I, we won't know until to March next year. And um, you know, I'll, I'll take. I'll take whatever happens on on face value there. But um, you know, in in other tablet news, there's some interesting um, rim results this week from uh, mm. BlackBerry. And obviously, they're they're trying to launch in the UK at the moment with the BlackBerry Playbook. Yeah. Now, I, I did. <laughs> I was in the train station yesterday, and um, they had lots of banners for for BlackBerry. Uh, for BlackBerry Playbook, and and one of the ones that kind of did make me smile was um, was one that said uh, said BlackBerry Playbook, uh, you wish you should you you wish you waited uh, <laughs> with obviously a picture of the baby, obviously trying to say oh you wish you hadn't bought an iPad, you wish you waited for this, but obviously I. <laughs> You know, looking at RIM's results this week, I think they wish they waited <laughs> in terms of launching the playbook because uh, the news is not uh, the news is not great. Profits are down, um, and they've only shipped five hundred thousand playbooks in their first quarter. Um, which are we well, surprised? And that, of course, that's shipped. That's not yeah. sold. Um, yeah, and coupled with the fact that this week O2, one of the bigger carriers here in the UK, said that. Um, this was pretty damning, really. They said they'd looked at the playbook, and, and they, they sell a lot of Blackberries. They're not anti-Blackberry by any stretch of the imagination. But they said they'd looked at the playbook and decided that the they weren't going to carry it because they didn't feel the end-to-end user experience was up to what their customers expected. Mm. Now, to come out with that, you know, you could, you could turn around and say, well, you know, we've looked at our business model and we decide this, doesn't, this product doesn't fit with what we sell. You could just do that. But to not actually come out and say... <laughs> Well, we decided not to carry it because we don't think it's very good. is is a is a bit of a different matter, really. Um, and and clearly, the device has not has not reviewed terribly well. Um, so so really, they they're kind of in trouble. Um, I mean, what's what's your view on that? We've talked about various different GPS smartphones. We've not talked about BlackBerry's GPS I just, device. I just wonder why they why they bothered to get involved in the first place. It just seems yeah. a bit a bit that everyone's getting into tablets. We have to be involved too. I hate to think how much money they wasted on the development of that thing. But as someone else said on a forum, what's BlackBerry famous for? Email. What does the one thing the BlackBerry Playbook do not do? Email. It's just yeah. In, why? In, yeah. In fact, uh, we, we got a. We're on Vodafone at, at my company, and and we deal in telecoms. So we, 
we you know we whenever we get um, account account stuff from Vodafone, we're very interested from a company perspective, but also from a market perspective. Yeah. Uh, one of my colleagues who deals in mobile uh, had the press release open in front of me and uh, in front of him and actually asked me about it. And when I told him, I said, "Well, it, it doesn't do email." He was stunned. He was absolutely, I mean, literally, his jaw fell open because he just could not. He said, well, he said, but it's a BlackBerry. It must do email. I said, <laughs> I said, well, it does. If you have a BlackBerry, um, it kind of talks to your BlackBerry and, and uses that for email. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he was, he was a little bit surprised. And uh, you know what? I think it's a shame because from what I've heard, the hardware is not bad. And even the software, while it's a bit rough around the edges, is also not bad. Yeah, but the problem is it has, it? yeah. But the problem appears to be the the execution that Rim have put into this is just is just very muddled um, and mm-hmm. and missing some peculiar things. And every time they're sort of questioned about this, they say, oh, well, it'll be fixed in the next release or it'll be updated in the next release. And it's kind of like, well, as as my colleague said, you funnily enough, he said, well, if you're going to compete with the iPad, don't you have to be better than the iPad today? Yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. got to come out the gate with a good, strong proposition, haven't you? Not something that's nobbled from the, the first day on the launch pad. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do... I, I mean, Tim said this before, and I agree with him. I do wish, in some ways, the iPad had some stronger competitors than yeah. it does. You know, yeah. no, no platform is, is good as, as, a, as a monopoly because you don't, you don't get the best innovation until you've got some competition going. No. Um, so, so it would be great if somebody would step up, but but at the moment everyone seems to be coming to the market with kind of watered down Me Too devices. Yeah, that's the problem with the. I can't see the Android tablets succeeding for an awful long time because they're the infrastructure behind them. There's no decent app store. There's no decent uh, history of apps on the on the platform. That's what sells these devices at the end of the day. It's not the. There are some lovely Android tablets and there are some lovely Android phones, but without the ecosystem behind them, that's just, they're just flash devices with no substance. Well, this is it. I, mean, I think this is what was really telling for me about the iCloud announcement for Apple at WWDC is rather than building a new platform and saying, look, here's another added value platform. Um, you know, we've got iOS, we've got Mac, and now we've got iCloud. They took mm-hmm. a completely different approach to say, let's build a service that binds our existing devices together more closely and makes them easier to use, more compelling to use and enriches the user experience. And that's what makes people going to make people, you know, when they break their iPhone or they lose their iPad or the next one comes around, that's what to make them say, well, instead of going to a competitor, I'm going to buy another one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How much have we all got invested in iOS apps now? I couldn't, couldn't contemplate changing to another platform. I've got, you know, Hate to think how much I've spent on. Yeah, the app store. I'm certainly not about to go and spend it all again on Android. Oh no! Uh, the, not that anyone does buy apps on Android. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like, yeah, that is a problem. People tend to like the free stuff over on the Android side, don't they? But um, yeah. no, I, I mean it's it's been interesting. We obviously we've only got a limited beta of iCloud here in the UK at the moment. We don't have the music side because that's not been signed up yet. But yeah. we do have the iCloud uh, app re-download and the first time you click that button and you see the list of everything you've ever bought mm. <laughs> actually on your device and you realise, you think, oh, well, uh, 59p there, 119 there, of oh, 399 there, it's, it's a big chunk of change. Oh, I'm just glad they don't give you a total balance for your entire spend. That would be... 
I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is a way to get one, but yeah, absolutely. I don't really want to see that number. No, definitely not. Even even over a few years, it's interesting actually. When I first got an iPhone, and then the App Store was launched, I I had an eight gig phone. I thought, oh, I'll never fill this up with apps. They're all so small. (laughs) And now, now I've got that that helpful little bar at the bottom of iTunes, and there's a big green wadge, which is the bulk of the stuff on there is applications. It's not media. Yeah, I've only got a few gig left on my sixty-four gig iPad. I don't know what yeah. the hell I've done with it all, but it's so sure, I've got half a dozen nav apps, and they're you know they're a good. I was going to say, so. yeah, they they have to hold the uh, they have to hold the mapping data, don't they? Because you really you don't want yeah. to be pulling that down um, down over a a, a a wireless connection if you've got bad connectivity. No, yeah. no, or a or a limited data plan. Well, that's that's an interesting thing, actually. Now, this is this is you know when, once we do more cloud stuff, that's going to be an issue. Um, mm. I can see people chewing through data. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's still fairly hard. You have to work pretty hard to chew through a few gig of data, but it, it can be done if you really go at it. Yeah, I, that's the interesting thing. In the States, and with BlackBerry in particular, they're all off-board navigation solutions for BlackBerry. I don't know why, whether it's just... I'm not sure why, but for some reason, you can't get an onboard navigation solution for a BlackBerry device. And they well, all so require to, data connections. You have to download it through the data connection. Yeah, you, you get the app on the device, but the maps are downloaded live. You plan your route, and you just get the map for that journey. So uh, you require a constant data connection, which is I, I wonder strange. if that's – yeah, traditionally, Blackberries haven't had a huge amount of onboard memory, though, have they? Because they, they've never – they've not often done media. So, you know, they've not necessarily had need to have 8 or 16 yeah. gig on board because they, they don't host a lot of uh, video or audio. I know the mm. newer ones can do, but every time we've ever tried it, we've always found it, found it somewhat – Somewhat painful experience compared to the, uh, com- you know, compared to the, the full full screen smartphone. Yeah, sure. So maybe that's why they just they don't want to they don't want to assume that somebody will have the space to actually store the maps. I mean, even I'm careful about what data I use, and I've got a you know an unlimited with a fair use policy on my contract. But for other people who've got one gig or five hundred megabytes in their plans, you know, it's very difficult to keep track of how much data you're using these days on these phones until you've run out. I think that's the problem. Uh, you know, funnily enough, I, I, uh, I was traveling a couple of weeks ago, and I, normally I use a MiFi, but I didn't have it with me. Um, and I had, um, I have a 3G modem built into my work laptop, so I put a, a pay-as-you-go 3 SIM in there mm-hmm. uh, and bought £15 worth of data, so it was 3 gig. And yesterday I actually, and I used it sort of fairly, what I thought fairly heavily for three four days, you know, email and all that sort of thing. I actually checked how much was left on there uh, yesterday, and it's, I've only used about 350 megabytes of it. Oof. And that's with that's with corporate, you know, um, synchronizing Outlook and that sort of thing. I thought I'd have chewed most of it up. Mm. In fact, I'm annoyed now because I bought too much, really, for it because it expires after a month. So I'll, I'll probably lose the the bulk of it um, in the next week or so because I won't have a chance to use it. Yeah, it's funny. I've just done the same with my MiFi. I put seven gig on it because I lost my ADSL for five days due to some problem at the exchange. But because yeah. um, you don't do all the streaming and down, the heavy download when you're on that, probably you're right. When you, once you resort to just emails and basic web browsing, the amount of data you consume is probably quite low in comparison, isn't it? Really. But of course, there's the what you just said. There is the key thing with the cloud services is if you don't do the streaming. But mm. of course, once you've got media up in the cloud, that's what a lot of people are going to be doing all the time because you're going to use it as an as an adjunct to having local storage. Particularly if you've got you know devices like uh, MacBook Airs with small SSDs and everything. It's, yeah. It's be, well, why, why sync your iTunes library if you can just stream it? That's the problem with this uh, cloud. You can't stream your music, though, can you? It's just a backup service, isn't it? Uh, well, I think it I, I think it, it remains to be seen. 
exactly how that's going to work. And one of, that's, that's one of the things that wasn't overly clear to me, but obviously you have – there's home sharing. Yeah. Um, which allows you to share things between devices. Um, uh, I, I just wonder how it's going to work because if you have five gig of storage, you obviously can't put everything up in the, no. in the iCloud. You know, if you've got a bigger library than that, so you are going to have to stream some stuff, and and there's going to need to be some sort of management mechanism for that. I don't know how it's going to work, and it seems to me it would be hard to make that work if everything has to be synced to the right place at the right time. But actually, much easier if you could use the cloud as a conduit to stream it from one device to another. Yeah. So, so I'll be, I'll be interested to see whether it may not be strictly streaming off the cloud like you get with, say, um, I think the Google, uh, the Amazon one, sorry, lets you stream directly off their service. It may not be it may not be presented like that, but I wonder if ultimately it will be streaming from one place to another through their server or through the network. Some sort of buffered pipe, yeah, that'd be, yeah. That'd be interesting. I'd be kind of surprised when I read that they weren't going to offer a you know, direct streaming service. I thought that's what the cloud was going to be, but... Uh, but you're right, perhaps Apple have come up with their own uniquely Apple-esque way of getting around yeah. this. I mean, I mean, interesting enough, I've just started doing this at home. I, uh, for a long time I've been on the, uh, when I'm listening to podcasts around the house, I use a, I've been using a fixed iPod, like a Nano or something like that. Um, I've just switched to an old iPhone that's basically been turned into a touch because I've taken the SIM out. Mm-hmm. And what I do now is, is the podcast I'm, I'm listening to, I stream off a playlist off my Mac. So that uh, I'm never synchronising the iPod that's in the house. Oh right, um, and oh. I, I found that fantastic. The only the only downside is for some reason the home streaming service doesn't mark tracks as played, and also doesn't keep where you're up to um, if you if you move from one device to another. Right. So if I pick up the touch and hit play, it plays from where I was up to. But if I then go and sync my iPhone to my Mac and then go out the house, it won't know where I was up to on the streamed version. So I then have to kind of think, oh, where was I? I was about half an hour in and kind of set it up again. Well, so I, I'm hoping that, uh, that iTunes in the cloud will kind of fix all of that and that it will just become, everything will automatically be synced to wherever you're up to, kind of like the Amazon Kindle does yeah. with the books. It's obviously got a long way to go. I'm running uh, iOS 5 on my devices and, uh, and lying on the desktops, and it's, still, oh, it's right. quite convoluted and confusing at the moment. I'm hoping they're going to make it a lot simpler when it hits the streets. Okay, very good. Well, I, I won't. I won't lead you too far no. down talking about that because I know that you know, you're officially on NDA on that. But yes. I think um, I think what we might want to do is when um, when all of this is out and, and released, maybe get you on the show again and, and talk uh, explain to us about, about how some of this stuff actually works in real life. <laughs> Assuming I've figured it out by then. <laughs> well, you will have a. You'll hopefully have at least a few months up on the rest of us. Yeah. Okay. A bit less well, hair. <laughs> well we're up to about an hour Darren sir, and I know you've got somewhere to go so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you get away but what I will say it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show yeah good to talk to you too David yeah it's been very interesting and um, as I say we'd like to get you on again and maybe talk about uh, Lino IS5 in the future but uh, in the meantime thanks very much and I uh, hope to speak to you soon you're welcome hope we didn't rumble on too much no that was great thank you speak to you soon though cheers <laughs>